Thank you so much, Penny, for that. How many of you are happy to be here today? Yeah? Why don't you just... <laughs> How many of you are happy to see me? <laughs> yeah, that was not supposed to be a joke. But anyway, um, great to be, uh, be here. I think this is uh, perhaps the largest group we've had here since the... Uh, uh, lockdown happened uh, about 16 months ago, so welcome to everybody. Uh, last Sunday, I addressed the concern that a lot of us, a lot of people, including Christians, have about the proper role of government in the lives of the citizens. Um, and for a lot of us, that's kind of an academic question. What's the role of government, and what should the, how should the Christian, uh, what, what kind of involvement should we have as citizens in government? Should we run for office? And, you know, there are some Christians who think you shouldn't even vote, you know, because we're separate from that. But I began to address that last Sunday. I talked about Romans chapter 13, which really is a key passage of Scripture uh, that addresses this question. Now, since the pandemic started and the lockdown occurred, there were some people who felt like the government went too far. There were churches that said, this lockdown is unfair. You cannot tell us that we cannot come together unrestricted and just have church as usual. And of course, I think many of us know the consequences of what happened with some of those pastors and churches. And so I just want you to know, and I mentioned this last Sunday, Romans chapter 13, and I said it in no uncertain terms that I believe that we did the right thing by following the restrictions that the government had placed upon us, that we did do the right thing. And if you want to know my thoughts more deeply on that, listen to last Sunday's message. But the summary of the teaching of Romans 13 is this. First of all, that it says that the authorities that exist all human authorities, not just Christian authorities, but all human authorities have been established by God. They are God's servants, it says in Romans 13. Therefore, we should submit to these human authorities and we should pay them what we owe them, tax to whom tax, you know, revenue to whom revenue, honor to whom honor, and so on. So that means that Christianity and good citizenship go together. Now, I had a lot of people thank me last Sunday for the message, and I didn't get any blowback. I was amazed. People said, did anybody get mad at you? And I said, well, not that I know of. You know, uh, the crowd might thin out. Who knows? We'll see what happens. But um, so earlier, just a few minutes ago, Penny Robb read to us from 1 Peter chapter 2, and that's what I want to focus on today. Now, I began last Sunday's message by talking about Pastor James Coates, and he's become pretty much world famous uh, because of what happened, and, uh, and you know that I don't agree with his particular position. I, I, I respect him. I think he's a brother in Christ. I just would not have made the decision he made, but he believed that the government was kind of maybe not intentionally, but perhaps unintentionally, a co-conspirator in some kind of maybe global conspiracy. There really was no pandemic, and so on and so forth. And so therefore, you know, they can't tell us that we can't gather together. And so I want to talk today about the role of the Christian when it comes to difficult decisions like this. First of all, let me make this statement. Submission is the Christian's default position. Now that might not sound tough, 
But that is our default position as believers in Jesus. Peter, in this passage, tells us why Christians should submit to Christian authorities, even to those that are unfair and unjust. So before we jump in more deeply into this passage that Penny read for us, I just want to give you a little bit of an overview of 1 Peter real quickly. Basically, he's writing to Christians who are being persecuted. They were suffering intensely. They were going through all kinds of painful trials, and it was because of their faith. And he was saying, hold on, put your hope in God, wait until that day when your salvation is revealed and you'll meet the Lord on the other side and it's all going to be worth it in the end. That's really what he's saying. And so then he says in verse 12, which Penny didn't read, I didn't ask her to read this one, but he actually says that we should behave well and watch our conduct and have good conduct before the world because then those who slander us will have nothing to say because our good behavior will silence them. And so what I want to do today is focus on why it is that Peter says we should submit even to unjust authorities. I'll just remind you of this too. Some of you know the story it's found in Acts chapter 6 and 7 where the, we read about the first martyr of the church, Stephen, Stephen, and he preached and they didn't like what he was preaching and what did they do? They stoned him to death. They executed him. Before he died... He drops to his knees and he looks up and he sees Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he says, and then he says at the end, before he dies, he says, Father, do not hold the sin against them. Who was standing there and heard those words? Yeah, the Apostle Paul, before he became a Christian. He was one of the ones that probably threw stones at and killed Stephen. And I do believe to this day that that, I don't think he ever forgot how Stephen submitted himself you know, to that punishment and still had love in his heart. So in the remainder of 1 Peter chapter 2, and even going into 1 Peter chapter 3, Peter describes what good conduct is. Now, he, he actually talks about three human institutions here. First of all, citizens to the state. He talks about that in verses 13 uh, to 17. And then he talks about slaves to masters. The modern-day application of that is, would be like employees to employers, um, and then in chapter 3, he talks about wives submitting to their husbands. I'm not going to go there. Just cast that aside for a minute. Don't get distracted. Some of you are going to stop listening from this point on. Okay. But anyway, this posture of submission to all human authorities was a way to keep an orderly society. God is not a God of disorder. It says that in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. So this is what he says. In verses 13 and 14, he said, Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every, every means every human authority. And then he explains who those are. In this verse, 13, he says, Do it for the Lord's sake. What does he mean for the Lord's sake? What he means is do it for Jesus. Because Submission to authority is the way of Jesus. That is his way. He demonstrated that in his teaching. He demonstrated it in his life when he went to the cross. And he suffered unjustly and bore our sins. 
So he's reminding, Peter's reminding us that people outside the church will form their opinions about Jesus and about our message based on what they see and hear from us. They will. They're forming opinions about Jesus depending on what you and I do. And so he says in verse 15, he said, it is God's will. Think about this. It is God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. You'll silence their ignorance by your good behavior. Good conduct here means nothing less than submission to authority. When he says good conduct, he's saying your good conduct is submit to the human authorities. That means also to your boss, your employer at work, whoever it might be. And so this is conduct that will win the approval of God, and it might even result in the salvation of the people that we want to win. He says, at one point, this is what he says, he said, they will end up praising God when they see your good conduct. And so it's the will of God to do this. And I just want to read to you uh, just a little further on in, in 1 Peter. And uh, let me just, I've got the large font Bible here. You know, I use my wife's Bible when I preach because then I don't have to use my reading glasses. And so it, it, it really helps. Thank you, Colleen. So this is 1 Peter chapter 3, beginning of verse 13. Listen to this. He says, who is going to harm you if you're eager to do good? But even if you should suffer, see, do good and you probably won't be harmed. But he said, even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this how? With gentleness or meekness and respect. When you defend your faith, meekness and respect is how we do it. And then he says, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. Again, let God be our defender. And then he says, look at this, for it is better if it is God's will to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. You know what? If you do something bad, you commit a crime and you get punished and you go, well, I'm getting what I deserved. But then when we get punished for doing the right thing, what do we often do? We pout. I don't deserve this. I deserve better. I tried to do the right thing. Wow, you're blessed. If you suffer for the sake of righteousness, Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, count yourself blessed for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And so there's something sublime and powerful about somebody who responds to vicious attacks on their character with grace and kindness. Be the grown-up in the room. When someone's coming out and they're yelling and they're gnashing their teeth at you and they're just, you know, they just hate you and they want to hurt you and you just like, and you know, you might do it. David Wilkerson did when somebody wanted to kill him, a gang member wanted to kill him with a knife, and he said, and every piece that you cut off of me will say Jesus loves you, you know? And there's something, people are dumbfounded by that kind of love and that kind of grace. And so, even without a word in our own defense, we can show strength through our silence and through our grace. 
And so Peter goes on in verse 16. He says, live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up or an excuse for evil, but live as God's slaves. He's saying here, don't use your freedom to do wrong. Think about all the talk about freedom in the last 16 months. The Apostle Paul says in Galatians 5, this won't come up on the screen. He says, you brothers and sisters were called to be free. This is what Paul said. He agrees with Peter. But do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh or the sinful nature. Instead, serve one another humbly in love. Yes, you're free, but you're free to serve your Lord. There's a sign here. You probably seen pictures like this on the news, you know, where people are, are protesting. And you know what? It's okay to protest. That's fine, peacefully. But we hear a lot about freedom, but we don't often hear a lot about responsibility. So we don't live for ourselves alone, the Bible says. We are not our own masters. We serve the Lord. We are his servants, his slaves. We are accountable to God. Freedom is not permission to do as I please. Freedom is not living without rules or responsibility for others. That's not what freedom is. In fact, my freedom ends when the exercise of my freedom puts somebody else in harm's way. And if someone has got a mask on and they're afraid of me, and I might think, well, there's no pandemic. There's, don't worry. But, you know, you're just worried about nothing. And then I breathe in their face. That is a wrong exercise of my freedom, and that is not love. It doesn't matter who's right and who's wrong. If I go up there and I become scary on purpose to someone, mm-mm. it's not a freedom just to do as we please. This is what the great Martin Luther said, the, the reformer, 1520. He wrote this. He said, a Christian is a perfectly free Lord of all, subject to none. This is a paradoxical statement. A Christian is also a perfectly dutiful servant of all, subject to all. I am free in Christ, but I make myself a servant of all. Verses 16 and 17 again. I, you know, he says, live as free people. Don't use your freedom to do wrong. Look at verse 17. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God. Honor the emperor. Notice what he says. Respect everyone. Show respect to everyone. Love the family of God. We know that. Amen? <laughs> okay. Then he says, fear God, reverence God. We know that. But then he says, honor the emperor. Who was the emperor? The evil emperor Nero. Peter says that Christians should be noted for our courtesy and our respectful treatment of others. Do you know what it says in the Church of the Nazarene Manual? There's a, a section in the Church of the Nazarene Manual where it talks about our Christian conduct and our Christian character. You know what I actually said? There's a, there's a bulleted item in there. It says that we um, uh, show courtesy, it says, to all people. Nazarenes show courtesy to all people. That's in the, the manual of the Church of the Nazarene. And that's biblical. Nero, he says, honor the emperor. Here's Nero who burned down Rome, blamed the Christians, and used Christians as human torches. 
Now, he wrote this before Nero did that, but he knew what kind of an emperor he was. He says, honor the king, honor his position. So then he gives two everyday examples of submission to authority, slaves to masters, and then he says wives to husbands. And I'm not going to go into that one today because this is not time. But we're going to look at the role of a slave, a Christian slave to a, a master. The word for slaves here is the word oikites. And normally the word for slaves, there's three different words. There's a Greek word for servant. There's a Greek word for slave that's often used, which is doulos, D-O-U-L-O-S, when you transliterate it, doulos. This is a different one. So that idea of oikos, it means household. That comes from a word that means household. And what's interesting is these household slaves were not like what we would think of as the um, the slaves that they brought over from Africa to America and like to the British Empire, and they were horribly horribly treated, many of them. Um, but, but, but here's what's interesting about these slaves, and I mentioned this last week, they were, they were often, most often, highly skilled, educated, they were teachers, doctors, managers, musicians, artisans, they were often well, most often were well treated, they were treated like members of the family, they were often paid for their services, and that's why you can make the comparison employee to employer. Um, and they were protected by Roman legislation, but they were involuntary. So if you don't like your job and you feel like a slave in your job, you can quit your job and go get another one. They couldn't just do that. They were still considered uh, under ownership of their master. But there were exceptions to the good treatment. Some people, some masters, were cruel and indifferent. Uh, they withheld wages. Uh, they, they neglected to provide what the slave needed and good working conditions and so on. Um, and so what does, what does Peter have to say to the slaves who have harsh masters, harsh taskmasters? Look at verse 18. Slaves, in reverent fear of God, submit yourselves to your masters, not only to those who are harsh, not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. Submit to the ones who are harsh. And then he says in verse 19, for it is commendable, it is commendable, and he means it's commendable to God. If someone bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because they're conscious of God. God is pleased when we submit to human authorities, even to those that are unjust and unfair, and we do it for his sake, because it is the way of Jesus. God is pleased. And then he says in verse 20, but how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? But if you suffer for doing good and endure it, this is commendable before God. And here's what we know. How many of you know that there is a heaven and life after death? Do you know that? We believe that. How many of you know that God will one day right all the wrongs? We will have, there will be rewards and punishments, the Bible says. And all the Bible is saying is, don't just tough it out, but put your hope in God and look ahead and say, God, you know, the Bible says, it is mine to avenge, says the Lord. I will repay, says the Lord. That's what God says. 
leave room for the wrath of God. The Bible says, Romans chapter 12. Leave room for his, let God take care of it. You, you don't have to defend yourself all the time. Let God be your defender. But then there's the extraordinary example of Jesus himself. And I, I love this. This is one that I've memorized. And I, 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 oh. To this you were called because. To what were you called? You were called to submission and to suffer unjustly when called upon to do so. To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin, and no deceit was found in his mouth. Can you and I say that? No. He committed no sin, no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. How many of you have watched the news and seen people be threatening and retaliatory? And I'm ashamed to say, sometimes in the name of Jesus. That's not the way of Jesus, folks. Submission to authority is the way of Jesus. But then people ask, but what should we do if our rights are being trampled upon? Well, Jesus taught us in the Sermon on the Mount. So I'm going to go back to this. By the way, Peter was one of Jesus' apostles. Did Peter hear the teaching that we read in the Sermon on the Mount? He sure did. And what does Jesus say at the end of Matthew 5, Sermon on the Mount? He says, you've heard that it was said, eye for eye and tooth for tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But I say to you, do not. He says, but if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic or your shirt, give your coat as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, offer to go two. Gandhi, who was not a Christian but was very influenced by what I just read, he out-Christianed the Christians when he did that. I know Martin Luther King Jr. tried to do that with the civil rights marches. Nelson Mandela, Desmond Tutu, and so that. But there are people that have taken this approach. And who today would say they were weak because they didn't burn and pillage and do violence? Nobody would say that. Um, he says, if anyone forces you to go one mile, go two. So here's the thing, and I've mentioned this before, but a Roman soldier could force a person who was part of a subject nation, a vassal nation, he could force a Jewish person, let's say, and say, hey, you, you come, come carry my bags. And they would have to do it. And under Roman law, they would have to go one mile. And Jesus said, not only should you do that, but you should go the second mile, offer to do extra. You say, but they don't deserve it. They're unjust, they're ungodly, it isn't fair. He says, do it. That's what he's saying. Do it. And do more than that. Why? Because he's saying it's about your witness. Because they're not going to understand when you go that. See, if you just do the first mile and you're kind of grumpy, like, uh, you know, and, you know, whatever, mumbling under your breath, anybody could do that. But then he said, when you go that second mile and you say, hey, I'll keep going. That makes a statement. I love that. 
And so that was a despised policy. They hated that about Rome. And if they could have changed it, I think they would have used, they would have used whatever means they could to change it. So go the extra mile. So again, look at that passage, 1 Peter chapter 2, 21 to 23. He says, to this kind of attitude and behavior, you were called. Because Christ suffered for you. And he submitted to the authorities. Submission to authority is the way of Jesus. He committed no sin. He suffered unjustly, false accusations, but he didn't retaliate. He didn't shout back. He didn't curse them, call down curses. He didn't say, I've got my rights. I'm coming down from the cross. It's payback time. Well, guess what? Book of Revelation tells us there will be a payback time, but not yet. Yes, there will be justice, but we need to be patient and wait. So Jesus made no threats, but what did he do? It says he entrusted himself to God. And so here's the thing. To take this attitude of submission to unjust authorities or authorities that we don't agree with, basically it means that we have to just trust God. I don't have to trust the authority. It's not about that. Do we trust the Alberta government and all the calls they've made? Eh, Not necessarily. We trust God. He'll right the wrongs. And so... I'm going to skip a couple of things here just to come to the end. Does submission to authority mean obedience? Not always. We're always submissive, but that doesn't always mean obedience. If you go to the book of Acts and you read where this Jewish high court, the Sanhedrin, they said to the disciples, stop filling Jerusalem with this teaching about this dead man, Jesus, telling us that he rose from the dead, etc., etc. Stop it. And they beat them. They put them in jail. They beat them. And they threatened them further. They said, if you don't stop, it's going to get worse. And they just kept right on doing it because they said, you decide whether it's right for us to obey you or God. But we have a higher authority. And this calls for wisdom. This calls for wisdom. There is a time. James Coates thought he was making the right call. He thought he was in line with those passages in the book of Acts. But the same Peter, Peter and John, in the book of Acts, who defied the Jewish hands of Sanhedrin, the Jewish high court, is the same Peter who said here, submit to the governing authorities. So he knew that submission was our default, but he knew there was also a line where you're called to defy the authority because we have a higher calling. So if the authority tries to cause us to sin or disobey a command of God, then we draw the line. I've had women, I, I've, I've known women who've been married to non-Christian husbands and say, my husband will tell me that I, I cannot read my Bible and pray and blah, blah, blah. And I go, okay, <laughs> he can't tell you that you can't do that. But if you tithe on his money and you give 10% of your income of his money to the church, I think you've stepped over the line. If your husband earns the money and he doesn't want you to tithe, submit to his authority. But there's a line, and this calls for wisdom. How far do you, does a woman who believes that submissiveness to her husband is God's way, how far does she go? How far do I go as an employee if my employer wants me to do something that's unconscionable, that is unethical? I have to draw a line there. But that calls for wisdom. And so let me just end with this. Choose an attitude of humility. I ended this way last week, and I think I need to do that today. 
when we're confronted with uh, human authorities that are unfair and unjust, and we're, we're just not sure that they're right and fair, we must still choose an attitude of humility. That was the way of Jesus. He came from heaven to earth, the Bible says, and he emptied himself. He became a human being, and he became a servant. And he humbled himself, the Bible says, to the point of death on a cross. And when he was dying, he said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. Humility. The humility of Jesus himself. The second thing is meekness. 1 Corinthians 4, 12 and 13, the Apostle Paul says, When we are cursed, we bless. When we are persecuted, we endure it. And when we are slandered, we answer kindly. We don't return evil for evil or retaliate. It's not about my rights and freedoms. It's about God's mission. The Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians 6, he said, I'm ashamed that many of you are taking lawsuits. You're suing each other in court. And you're going to the Gentile courts. And you're dragging the name of Jesus through the mud. Can't you work this out between yourselves? He was concerned about that. He said, wouldn't it be better to be defrauded than to pursue your rights. Because something's at stake, and it's the gospel. The apostle Paul said, I've become all things to all people, that I might by all means save some. Peter, the apostle Paul said, I'm not going to charge a salary for my services because I know you're all struggling. And there's too much at stake. He, he laid aside his rights. The world is watching. They're listening. They're going to form their opinion of our gospel based on what they see and hear in us. So choose to be a peacemaker. Humility, meekness, and peace. This is the way. And I know there's going to be people that will tell you that's not true. But you know what? We follow the example of Jesus. Submission to authority is the way of Jesus. But yes, you can petition. You can walk in the streets. You can speak truth to power. But it must all be done in love. And Carmen Bradley, the other day, I was at a luncheon where he spoke. Uh, and it was about a petition that you've got, Carmen. And we'll be letting you know more about this. But you, you did say so often, it's got to be done in love. And I know that you mean that. It's got to be done in love. So let's bow our heads, please. And then I'm going to invite worship team and Pastor Trent's going to come and lead us to the Lord's Supper Imagine a church that truly embodies the life of Jesus, who is the good shepherd, the one who emptied himself, who chose not to defend himself and, or protect himself or save himself from the cross, but said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. Imagine a church that will be willing to follow in his steps and walk in humility and meekness. A church of peacemakers who sow in peace, as the Bible says, and raise a harvest of righteousness. Yes, we will fight, but we will fight with the spirit of love for our enemies, and we will not be overcome by evil, but we will overcome evil with good. If it's to be, it's up to me. Be the change you want to see in others. Father, thank you today. As we receive these elements in the Lord's Supper, may it remind us of how Jesus suffered graciously 
when he was falsely accused. Teach me how to use my freedom responsibly to go the extra mile. Teach me the courage, Lord, to stand against unjust authorities to protect the rights of others. And to always remember, Lord, that you are the highest authority. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. faith partake of the life of Jesus Christ and let us together remember this memorial of the death and passion of our Lord is a token also of his coming again let us not forget that we are one and we are at one table together in unity let me pray almighty God our heavenly father who out of your tender mercies you have given your one and only Son, Jesus Christ, to suffer death upon the cross for our redemption. May we come now before you in true humility and faith as we partake of this holy sacrament. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Uh, we are reminded that at the same night that Jesus Christ was betrayed, he took, uh, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and he gave it to his disciples saying, this is my body given to you. Do this in remembrance of me. He then took the cup. And after the meal, he said, he took this cup and he said, it is my new covenant um, in my blood, which is poured out for you. Do this whenever you think of me. So if you would now take out uh, the bread, whether you are at home with us, you can take out the bread uh, that you have and we here have these small wafers. So yeah, just take a moment to peel that top layer off and grab the wafer. The body of our Lord Jesus Christ, broken for you. Take this in remembrance of him. And now we'll prepare to take the cup Body, uh, the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ, which is shed for you. Take this in remembrance of him and be thankful. Lord God, you have met us right here, right now, in this moment. Holy Spirit, thank you for the tangible reminder that you are present. Lead us now to Sing and proclaim your resurrection today and always.